Welcome to the Capital Beach. My name is Derek Brockbank. I'm your host for the Capital Beach and the Executive Director of American Shore and Beach Preservation Association. Uh, really excited about today's show. Normally, I talk with decision makers either at a federal level or people who are influencing federal or national policy. But today we are, I'm joined by three of my colleagues at ASBPA and we're actually going to be debriefing the recently held ASBPA Coastal Summit. So we hold a, a national coastal summit every year in Washington, D.C., where we hear from federal policymakers. Uh, but of course, due to the coronavirus this year, we weren't in D.C. We held it as a webinar. So we might be getting into a little bit about the, the challenges and, and potentially benefits of hosting a webinar national coastal summit. But I'm really excited to be joined by three guests uh, who have all helped uh, put together the Coastal Summit, but have all had different levels of involvement in ASBPA's Coastal Summit over the years. So um, looking forward to introducing you to Lynette Cardoche, Brian Caulfield, and Dan Adams. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering with 28 offices along the Gulf Coast. The folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal Coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numeric modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. And now they have a brand new coastal resiliency department headed up by our very own Peter Ravella. Check them out at LJA.com. We are also brought to you by Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants prides itself on offering specific environmental and horticultural expertise with practical first-hand knowledge of all aspects of coastal revegetation projects. Their high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, along with their skilled and respectful crews, make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring coastal ecology of your barrier island community. Learn more at CoastalTransplants.com. And we are brought to you by the Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They can handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at the dunesciencegroup.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Lynette, Brian, Dan. Uh, why don't we actually start just by each of you introducing yourselves? Uh, Lynette, I'll, I'll start with you. Tell, a, tell our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. I'm Lynette Cardoche, and I work with Moffat & Nickel. And in that, um, I'm the Director of Resilience and Adaptation. And it's just been an exciting time to participate in this summit. I've been in this coastal world for, gosh, over 25 years. And it, it was just so incredibly energizing and inspiring to participate this year. Thank you. Great. And Lynette, you're based in uh, Miami, right? I am. I'm based in Miami, but it's really fun to be able to get the, the national perspective with all the various projects around the United States. Well, certainly a, a city that knows and is getting to know a little more about resilience and adaptation. Um, Thanks for thanks for joining us, uh, uh, Dan. Also, speaking of coastal cities that need to uh, adapt and respond to sea level rise, uh, tell tell folks about uh, who you are and what you do. Yeah, thank you, Derek. Uh, my name is Dan Adams. I'm the coastal program manager for the city of Virginia Beach. I'm a, a civil engineer and a, and a project manager by trade. I believe this is my fifth coastal summit that I attended, and it's always a great opportunity to hear from and speak directly with leaders in coastal science and policy. Um, this year was a little different, but there was still no exception to that. 
it's just a, it's always a great opportunity to forge relationships with you know, other ASBPA members, uh, federal agency point and contacts, and, and most importantly, it's a great opportunity uh, to meet with congressional members and their staffers and advocate for Healthy Coast. We didn't really get to do a lot of that this year, but um, we can certainly do that uh, next year and then throughout the year. Thanks, Dan. And uh, Dan was uh, a very active participant this year by helping us uh, lead the the sponsorships committee. And we were very fortunate to uh, retain many of our sponsorships who who stuck with us, even though we had to move from an in-person to an online event. Um, and then uh, lastly, but certainly not least, uh, Brian Caulfield, for the most dedicated listeners of the Capitol Beach, you may recall that Brian and I did a 2019 Coastal Summit preview. Uh, Brian was the 2019 one of the co-chairs for our 2019 Coastal Summit, and he foolishly agreed to chair the Coastal Summit again this year. So, Brian, thank you so much for your work, and why don't you remind our audience uh, who you are and what you do. Thanks, Derek. Uh, my name is Brian Caulfield. I'm a coastal engineer with CDM Smith. I'm based out of the Boston office. And as Derek mentioned, I was foolish enough to agree to do this a second time. Uh, so I was the co-chair of the Coastal Summit, and how to do that pivot from what we were planning was the in-person meeting over to our virtual summit, which I think went over really well. And uh, I think we delivered a, a great uh, summit over the, the day and a half. Well, thank you. And again, Brian, thank you for helping us uh, organize and arrange the summit. Um, we're going to dive into a couple specific things. I think one of the things we always like to do with the summit, and I think one of the things that's so important to note with coastal policy is that it really is a interaction between local communities, state level officials, and federal agencies and federal policy. This isn't a, you know, the coastal, coastal policy isn't just at a federal level. It isn't just at a local level. And in many cases, it's really hard to parse out um, where the you know regulatory funding aspects uh, end and, and where they begin between local, state, and federal. And so that's something we try to identify and and put on display at the summit. Um, and I think I think we did this year, and actually in in talking with these guys ahead of time, I think we've got some highlights that really reflect that. Uh, so I guess we'll start, Dan, we'll we'll start with you. Um, tell me sort of, one of the one or two of the panels or one of the things that you found most interesting at the coastal summit this year what, what did you what did you learn what did you like to hear about actually what i found uh, very interesting it really wasn't uh, heavily focused on science or policy but but it, directly but it is because all projects involve a lot of uh, background policy work and science that goes into getting a project off the ground and, and developed but um uh, what struck me was the best restored beaches presentations um you know, the, I think the theme of that award this year was stories from the shore. And I'm, I'm always struck by the, the project stories from the shore and learning about the myriad of obstacles that must be overcome to ultimately deliver a, a successful uh, project. And also, it's I just really enjoy hearing the um, about the benefits these projects bring to our community and the ecosystem. There's the obvious benefits and primary purpose of a project, but there's always um, secondary benefits and, and other uh, stories and, and opportunities that come about. So I wanted to maybe just go through um, some of those uh, award winners and, and some of the takeaways I heard from from some of the uh, presenters. Yeah, that, that'd be great. Well, I think, you know, I think we always have great award winners, but I was really excited by this year's award winners. They range from one of the largest beach nourishment projects in history to, uh, you know, a real small 
pocket beach uh, on a very urban coastline that was a brownfield remediation site. So um, cool projects to talk about. Yeah, why don't we run through them real quick, Dan? Uh, give us a give us a rundown. Yeah, well, and like I say, um, you know, the the best uh, restored beaches award. It, it's it's an opportunity to showcase just that all of the. Uh, the things that went into the project it's not just a um, photography contest for the best looking finished project but the first uh, uh, project that was awarded was the uh, Caminata headland project in louisiana and miller with the louisiana coastal protection and restoration authority spoke uh, in detail about that project a couple of things that struck me were the um the, the amount of turtle research they were able to do they um were able to capture tag take some biological samples and release a large number of sea turtles. Uh, unfortunately, they did have one uh, un unintentional take on that project, but it sounded like they were able to collect a lot of good uh, turtle uh, data that will help prevent uh, future takes on, on other projects, hopefully. They also talked about um, some innovative dredging practices using a combination of hopper dredges and scows for uh, hydraulically dredging and placing the material. And one of the other great uh, things that uh, struck me was the educational opportunities, how the community and the schools really got involved in, in learning about the project, why it was being done, and that presented an opportunity to educate um, school kids about history and the formation of the uh, Mississippi Delta system. Great, and, yeah. And Kaminata was the uh, the one I was referencing of one of the largest ever. I believe it was something like 10 million cubic yards. It was just a, a phenomenally big uh, project to rebuild, rebuild the headland there. Yeah, that is a, a enormous amount of uh, material to move. Uh, the second uh, award winner was the Duval County uh, Beach Restoration Project. Jeffrey Clue with the Army Corps of Engineers spoke about that. Um, the project I think got underway right um, before Hurricane Matthew, so that it was able to mitigate a large amount of uh, storm damages that otherwise may have occurred without the project. He talked about um, how important it was for the um, uh, the local sponsor to be able to incorporate a, a dune feature to the project. The, the federal portion of the project was just a berm um, widening effort, but having that dune component added, you know, the ecological benefits and additional storm reduction benefits. So they were able to to work with the core and their contract contracting authority to incorporate that into the project. He also gave a good overview on some of the obstacles during construction. He talked about some of the previous structures that were encountered and used, um, I guess, earlier last century that uh, for storm protection, they actually would bury um, automobiles and appliances as, and use that as fill to, to armor and shore up the, uh, the coastline. So those had to be encountered during construction of, of this project. And, the, and along with storm drain outfalls and other things that are uh, a lot of people may find uninteresting, but as a project manager and engineer, those are those are interesting things and lessons learned that um, we can apply to other projects. Yeah, um, certainly. Um, again, jumping in there, he one of the photos that he showed was fascinating. I mean, I think many of us are used to seeing uh, rock riprap, uh, but this was literally like riprap, but old car chassis and refrigerators that was being used for for shoreline protection so uh you know it's not just not just a new natural infrastructure beach and dune system but getting rid I of first waste um, derek i'd first seen that from old photographs after the ash wednesday storm they huh. did the exact same thing here on in virginia beach 
and I thought maybe it was just a local uh, uh, option, but evidently it was it was pretty pretty widespread. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that really struck me was his um, the cooperative spirit he talked about among the for this project among the local, state, and federal agencies, and that's exactly the kind of relationships that can be established by by being involved in American Shore and Beach um, Preservation Association and, and attending conferences and and making those points of contacts. It always comes into to use later when we're actually rolling up our sleeves and and doing the work on projects. And the third winner was uh, South Padre Island uh, Restoration Project, Christina Baburka of uh, the city of South Padre Island. Um, what she spoke about wasn't necessarily the project itself, but the, an interesting study they did. Um, the, po- the project did um, it was a beneficial use of dredge material project, but they did se- uh, sediment tracing. They actually needed to understand um, where the sediment was moving in the near shore after it was placed. And uh, that is definitely a, a critical piece of information that um, is necessary in regional sediment management. So I thought that was an interesting take and way to present a, um, a best restored beach project. Definitely not something that is visible to the to the public and you would not know about unless um, maybe this award, this uh, contest uh, existed and this award was made. So that was very interesting. And lastly, uh, there was a project in Bellingham, Washington. Uh, Jim Johansson of Coastal Geological Services talked about a project in Bellingham. It was an old uh, paper mill and there was a transformation of a brownfield site into a uh, public park with a pocket beach. And actually it created a a great uh, water access venue where where none had previously existed. And it sounds like they have actually plans to expand on that project and open up more of the, uh, that industrial shoreline to uh, public use. Yep. Another very cool project. Again, not huge, just this little pocket park. It's a very gravelly beach, but it provides access to the water for kayaking, for wading, fishing. Uh, It's a salmon run, so you can catch salmon off the banks of a beach in Bellingham, Washington. Um, Really cool project. Uh, uh, Brian or Lynette, anything you wanted to add to any of those Best Restored Beach winners? So I definitely, the one in Bellingham really caught my attention because, you know, it's not just that it was a Best Restored Beach, but it's actually a best created beach you know it's mm-hmm. the whole idea that they went into a brownfield area you know vertical shoreline from the industrial age you know removed that and made it something now accessible to people and i think that's one of the important factors we try to look for you know in our when we do our assessments of these best restored beaches and then i also like the as dan said you know the that south Padre island project you know, the fact that it included, you know, a component of a study, you know, so it's not just looking to improve our beaches, but it's looking to improve our knowledge of the processes of those beaches. Great. Lynette, any thoughts? It's just really impressive to see the variety of scale, quite frankly, you know, with the, the pocket all the way up to the, you know, Caminata, the Cam Headlands, you know, it's been so many years in the making to see it to finally come to fruition is just so inspiring. So, I mean, just, just the sheer size from tiny to huge and to be able to share the stories of how they came to life is is uh, what I enjoyed the most about them. Yeah, 
one little thing that I noted, it's just interesting that we had one, uh, Caminata was presented by a state official, Duval County was presented by a federal person, someone from the Army Corps, South Padre was presented by a city engineer, and Bellingham, Washington was presented by a, a private engineering firm that had done the design. So really brings brings to the point that, you know, this is local state feds and um, private industry all working together. So. Um, well, thank you for sharing that, Dan. It's certainly one of our, the highlights of every coastal summit. Uh, Brian, I'll turn to you. You organized the whole the whole summit. What did you? What were what were some highlights for me for you? To me, I thought it was really the the breadth of the federal agencies that we brought on board for this conference. Um, and you know, we're always looking to hear from new people, from new agencies, to broaden our understanding of how the federal government works, how they play in the coastal space and what opportunities there may be for our membership to either, you know, support their local economies or to, you know, even branch out and find additional funding sources. And we tried to do that this year. We reached out and we got um, somebody from EPA's Office of Water. And we also got someone from the uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services Coastal Program. And it's two kind of agencies we've never heard from before. And it was really nice to, to kind of get that new or different look on, um, you know, what we have or what we're heard about. Um, so I, I definitely thought that was a, a great aspect, you know, from the, from the Office of Water, uh, Lisa was really focused on the discussion of, um, uh, water quality, beach water quality, and some of the grant work that they do to provide uh, the ability to go out and, and perform those testing and to improve how those testing is done. And you know, the fact that they do a lot of studies to determine what the limits are, you know, we're not, we're coastal engineers, we're not chemistry majors. So kind of <laughs> hearing about that uh, was, a, was a very nice kind of different take on the world. I think she also opened some eyes up when she mentioned that 80% of aquatic trash comes from terrestrial sources. You know, it kind of really makes you think of what you're throwing away or, you know, and why beach cleanups are so important. Um, and then Samantha Brooke from the Fish and Wildlife Coastal Program, you know, she mentioned two uh, kind of funding vehicles that they have. Uh, one of them being a, a coastal wetland grant program that she actually mentioned was uh, not very competitive, meaning that they had some additional funds that they aren't able to expend right now. Um, and they're hoping to get more people to submit for that grant program. Uh, and I thought that that was, I mean, it's one of the things that we try to do is we try to bring in these people who are in these different offices and, and kind of talk to us about what's available from them. So I think engaging with the Fish and Wildlife and with EPA Office of Water was was a, a great new uh, tact to take during this uh, coastal summit. I I agree wholeheartedly, Brian. I think it really reflects our summit is intended to reflect actually what this whole podcast network reflects, which is just the broad sweep of who's involved in managing our coastlines and ASBPA. We certainly have have a more of a, a beach perspective and we come at it from a more engineering or geological perspective. But if you're trying to manage a beach, you got to deal with water quality. If you're trying to restore a coastal system, you got to think about wetlands restoration. So bringing in fish and wildlife service, coastal program, EPA certainly makes sense. Uh, I'll, I'll 
add on to that, I, I was really excited that you were able to bring in uh, FEMA to talk about their building resilient infrastructure communities. I think that's the right uh, term. Yeah, it's it's building resilient infrastructure and communities, which they're, of course, every federal government has to go to acronyms. So it's the BRIC program. Um, yeah, and maybe it, you've you've worked with Tucker before, and Tucker from FEMA, who got uh, sort of detailed to the BRIC program, was also ASBPA's uh, Coastal Agency Award winner. But Brian, maybe you can touch briefly on on what BRIC is and and why we presented that at our conference too. Yeah, so you know, many of our I think our coastal communities you know have dealt with FEMA before, whether it's through you know getting flood insurance rate maps or. You know, unfortunately, after disasters, dealing with FEMA's public assistance program, and they kind of, you know, they understand how FEMA works, and and uh, it's always nice to have someone come from FEMA to explain or help explain to us what a new process is going to involve. And so, as part of the, I'm going to get this wrong, but it's the da Disaster Recovery Reform Act. So it's a DRRA, which was a reform act from uh, 2018. The idea is that um, FEMA needs to be spending more money in that pre-disaster mitigation bucket. And pre-disaster mitigation is one of the funding vehicles that they have under their hazard mitigation area. And the, instead of having the program called pre-disaster mitigation, they're going to basically replace it with this BRIC. And the idea is that BRIC will have a more dedicated funding source and admittedly, you know, she doesn't know what the dollar value is going to be for this year, but, you know, they're, the, what was it? It was like one year, it, one year it was as low as about 5 million. And in another year, this program had been around 250 million. And so the expectation is it's probably going to stay around that 250 or more with the new uh, funding vehicles that they're using to support it. And, you know, and so it will again be a, a grant-based program that the communities will file for assistance and it's you know focused really on building resilient infrastructure and communities so that you know more money is being spent in a pre-disaster dollar than in the post-disaster dollar and uh you know tucker had basically pointed to her uh the um what disaster saves study and uh that has a number that says that uh was it with six, it's a six to one mitigation value. So you want to spend uh, for every dollar you spend in mitigation, you get six dollars back uh, in protection. So that's kind of why it's a, a good number to be looking at. And, and of course, we're definitely underspending in that realm right now. And so this would be a, a way to improve how we spend. Yeah, a, a fascinating program that you know we could probably. I I'm actually looking forward to reaching out to Tucker or, or someone at FEMA to see if we can do a full capital beach on the BRIC program uh, or on the BRIC. It just seems like a, a great program that many of our coastal communities need to know more about. I think the, the kind of pre-disaster funding aspect and resilient funding that comes through FEMA is, well, it's going to be the wave of the future, I think, in terms of adaptation funding. So, um, so looking forward to diving into that more on a future Capital Beach. Uh, you know, we could keep going on the the laundry list of, of federal acronyms. We had uh, Hillary Stockton from U.S. Geologic Survey on to talk about some of the science and coastal experiments that they're doing at the Army Corps Field Research Facility in Duck, North Carolina. Uh, we had 
our keynote was from the deputy director of NOAA, uh, Rear Admiral Tim Gallaudet, which was really, I thought, a really exciting uh, to have him there. ASBPA has often been associated with the Corps, but it was great to have a, a keynote from the from NOAA. And then we had folks from the Corps presenting on their benefit cost ratio and and other issues. So um, really, a you know, a, a lot of different federal agencies. Um, I was really pleased to see that breadth there. Uh, Lynette, Dan, anything you'd like to add sort of on the, the breadth of federal agencies participating in the summit or any, any sort of highlights from any of those? Yeah, I think you captured it pretty well. And again, it was um, the, the depth and breadth of the, of the different topics and, and, uh, and people represented from the different agencies was impressive. Yeah. Well, Lynette, I guess maybe I'll turn to you. Um, you had uh, graciously, I think this was your first summit or maybe your second summit, but you're still relatively new to our family at ASBPA. Uh, we're glad to have you, but you uh, dived in to help set up a advocacy visit, a meeting with NOAA. Um, and so I'd love to get your thought on on NOAA, if you want to share any any thoughts on the um, keynote that we had, but then also talk a little bit about the advocacy visit that you set up with uh, Mark Osler at NOAA. And, and Mark is a, a previous guest on the Capitol Beach, but you guys had a pretty good in-depth conversation, it sounds like. Yeah, we did. I have to I have to say that this is my first coastal summit, and I was just really attracted to this particular summit because of that you know, that mix of the policy and the science and just the ability to present research and issues of funding and all the things that tie us together from the various levels we've talked about. And and having um, this conference and the summit go to the web format was really a big switch for all of us involved. And I have to say that um, it worked. It worked really well. And I think it just goes to the, the passion of the participants that are in the National Co uh, Coastal Summit and just the, the desire to make sure we all continue to connect. So so I'd just like to say that to start with. Um, and moving on to the more specific NOAA visit, it was absolutely wonderful to coordinate with Mark Osler, who's presently the Senior Advisor for uh, Coastal Inundation and Resilience, and Pamela Braff. And she's a Canals Fellow in the office of the assistant administrator and shout out to Sea Grant, shout outs to Canals Fellows. I was a Canals Fellow in 1995, so been a long time, but it's it's always energizing to uh, to work with that next gen of leaders. And um, she was highly involved in helping us organize it all. Uh, I worked very closely with the city of Miami Beach environmental director, Margarita um, Cruyff, and put together an agenda that really focused on how do we as ASBPA continue to engage NOAA, more specifically um, the various programs that they have in Office of Coastal Management, NIMPS, all the other areas that we work with, how do we enhance that? And how uh, do the various folks from the federal, private, get the NOAA message across? So we ended up having about, ooh, about a dozen participants and the same and it was the same reflection as the broader summit where we had the folks from academia, the local government, federal agencies, and of course, you know, the private industry and really started this conversation of how can we as an organization help NOAA? And then what, what are the areas where we can actually um, uh, have NOAA continue with our mission as well? And, and one of the things that I thought was really exciting was that we do know uh, we are really well known for the beach advocacy, the beach, more of that renourishment. 
And our focus lately to be able to have that whole coast and really make sure that our mission includes the whole dynamic environment, that's where we're going. And that aligns really well with NOAA. Now, Mark Osler is really familiar with ASBPA and has, has worked with us in the past. And he even, even he mentioned that that whole coast message is something that we need to continue to get out to the broader audience. So it was really good to hear and get feedback on uh, how we're messaging, what are the things that we're known for and known as a powerhouse for, and where do we need to add a little bit emphasis. So that was number one. The other thing is that, you know, NOAA really does uh, a great job at some foundational observations and research and collects a lot of data that fits into modeling. And this is an area where we as an organization really have an opportunity to advocate that NOAA continue to deliver um, these observations, this type of research, and and use that modeling to help us inform that long-term planning uh, that's just so critical for our dynamic coastlines. And in that conversation, we also heard from folks that were from the local side and talking very clearly about what are the tools, what things can NOAA be providing to them, how they're using the information that's coming out of um, coastal management and all the other things that, that local governments need to use to be able to access reliable information. We spent a little bit of time talking about, you know, issues of sea level rise too. And when we go down that route, it's interesting since every geography needs to downscale their models and adapt them for their own planning. And so having NOAA really deliver data that can be used in all around the coast is one of the areas that was a big highlight for us. And then probably the third thing that's on the, the top is NOAA likes to hear from us, the end users, what type of input is going to be beneficial in the development of, of, of more of the uniform applicable tools. Right now, um, like I mentioned, the sea level rise, we do the downscale and we get the regional projections, et cetera. But not all of the coast is uh, has the data to the consistency that is probably beneficial to all of the different coastlines. And so having some more feedback and maybe us through the Science and Technology Committee uh, at ASBPA could engage more formally with NOAA to have a, a, a larger dialogue. So that just covers kind of the, the, the deep dive that we did for that particular advocacy visit. And really great thanks to Mark Osler and Pamela Braff for being so available and just uh, being so candid in their feedback and engaging in this conversation uh, on the web format, too. They were just fantastic. So uh, fantastic opportunity for all of us. Thanks, Lynette. And I think that also speaks to another uh, thing that I really like about the summit, which is it both presents an opportunity for us to hear from federal agencies in as part of the, the just the summit itself. But then we do set up these interactive conversations with uh, agency staff, and that allows us to get feedback with them. We can make our case for what we think they should be doing. But we can really get into the kind of strategic and, and partnership elements where NOAA is providing us input on how we message and we're providing NOAA input on some of our expertise. We have those meetings similarly with, with FEMA and with the Army Corps of Engineers and um, with uh, Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. So just a, a lot of different agencies that, that we can work with. Um, I think I'd probably like to wrap this up. I think this has been a nice overview, uh, I guess. 
I'll I'll look to each of you to provide sort of one final thought or one sort of thing that you you really took away that you want to keep in your head for next year um, as you're doing your job or thinking about being an advocate. Um, I guess my final thought that I'll finish with is uh, is that I just love hearing you guys. Um, you know, this is a a summit where we bring in policy folks and we're talking detailed policy. And I'm sitting here talking to uh, two engineers and an oceanographer, and they're you know they're incredibly conversant in federal policy. And I know it's not just the summit that got you there, but I think it's really important for folks who are engineers, geologists, scientists to be conversant about federal policy because it has such an uh, important role in the work that everyone does. So really, you know, it's, it just, it warms my heart to hear you guys be so conversant on these issues. I'm really glad you're part of the organization that you came to the summit, that you lent your expertise and, uh, 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 wisdom and thoughts in helping plan the summit. So thank you guys. Um, let's do a quick go around. Uh, also as listeners know, uh, my question to every guest that I have on the show is what is your favorite beach? So if you want to give us sort of a, a final wrap up of, um, you know, any final thought you had about the summit and then where is your favorite beach? Where's that favorite coastal place that uh, refreshes you, rejuvenates you and gets you ready to go for the next battle? Yeah, Derek, first, I just want to say uh, I want to thank the uh, ASBPA leadership for making the bold decision uh, not to cancel the conference this year and to hold a virtual conference. I think it was uh, wildly successful. Um, of course, we didn't have the face to face interaction and um one of the takeaways is that um, you know we just don't do advocacy for the two and a half days of the year when we when we have this national coastal summit. It um, it's something that we we should be doing throughout the year. But um, the presentations and the interaction just they 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 really jazz me up to be able to do that throughout the year. So really appreciate the opportunity to per, to participate. My favorite beach is one that's just about a mile um, east of my house, and that's Sandbridge Beach in, in Virginia. In Virginia Beach, it's a federal uh, shore protection project, been wildly successful, and I um, may be going out there this Sunday to to relax and rejuvenate. And a recently awarded Best Restored Beach. Great. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Very much. Brian, how about you? So I would say one of the things that I definitely carried out is there's a lot happening on the Hill uh, with respect to coastal and coastal resiliency. And there's quite a few things that, you know, I just want to make sure I'm keeping a track on, you know, whether it's funding mechanisms or uh, changing some of the current policies. And I, I know you'll be doing a great job tracking all that as part of the Government Affairs Committee. Um, I'm, you know, I'm also kind of keeping my fingers crossed that there are new co-chairs found for 2021. Otherwise, I <laughs> might be here again next year. Um and so I guess I, <clears throat> I'm going to say I have two favorite beaches. You know, my, my true favorite beach is the one that I did my graduate research work on, and that's uh, Ludington State Park in Ludington, Michigan, on Lake Michigan. Uh, that was where I spent a lot of quality time as a grad student, and it just kind of recenters me. But now that I live on Cape Cod, Massachusetts, I definitely don't get out there as much. Um, but the, the Happy Beach is Wrightsville Beach in, in uh, North Carolina. That's where I tend to go for vacation. You can't vacation when you live on the Cape, so you got to go somewhere else. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Brian. Uh, Lynette, take us home. Yeah, fantastic. You know, I, I, I need to echo where you were ending your your uh, uh, your comments on the conference and about the interactive conversations. 
And that is what struck me. And that's what stays with me is that this is a dynamic group with conversations that are ongoing. And so I never got the sense throughout the the conference and the various visits that we had that we were going to be one and done. And that is really great because too often you go, you get information and it's you either receive information or you give information. And this interactive dialogue and the ability to have um, that conversation in these, you know, these, these, these really challenging environments is, is what stuck with me. So that's, that's definitely the hook uh, for me. And I bet for a lot of other folks is that you're able to have this continued dialogue. So now moving on to the beaches, I have to cheat also and give you two. One is because it's really close to me and it's, you know, I grew up in Miami is uh, the city of Miami Beach. So Miami Beach is the one that is close by and it's just brings so many memories of growing up on the coast. But part of my, another one of my favorite beaches and part of why I love it is that I'm originally from Puerto Rico and so Culebra, uh, that beach on Culebra is one of my favorite all time beaches. And whenever I get back home to the island and I'm able to go to the beach, it brings back those like really early childhood memories. And there's nothing like, you know, remembering when you were tiny and learning to swim and being on the beach, like uh, those beaches bring back to me. So so it's, you know, Culebra and Miami Beach. Love them. Fantastic. So we have uh, our takeaways were advocate throughout the year, uh, be aware of how much is going on in D.C., and continue those ongoing conversations and continued dialogue. And our favorite beaches are the ones that are near us, the ones that are home, the ones we vacation in, the ones that take us back to our childhood. Thank you guys so much for joining me on today's Capitol Beach and all your work on the summit. Look forward to talking to you all soon and, and all you guys on the line. Uh, Hope you join us again for the next Capitol Beach. Thanks. Thanks.